the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We toss around these terms like destiny or fate, but really at the end of the day, even luck is nothing more than providence. So let's talk about providence next, here on Abounding Grace. Luck, fate, luck of the draw, luck of the cards. We've got a variety of terms that we toss about. But at the end of the day, for real lasting comfort, there's nothing like God's providence. And that's what we're looking at here in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. As the Apostle Paul lays out for us this providence that really is at work for you and I as believers in Christ. There's a lot of comfort here. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary as we explore God's comfort together in His providence. Here's Pastor Gary in today's Abounding Grace. Are you sick? We might search for a cure for years, only at the end to come down with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 with his malady and say, well, I asked the Lord three major times if He would take this away. Now, my guess is, He just doesn't mention three because he only asked three times, but because there were three seasons of his life when he was particularly distressed by this, and probably with fasting and prayers and crying, he asked God to take it away. And what did the Lord say? No, you're going to keep this jewel, Paul. This is a gift of my providence, because You will be arrogant if I do not keep you humble. Plus, my power has as its goal the exposing and bringing you to weakness so that you will learn to depend upon my power. The verb, therefore, in 2 Corinthians 12, we quote as, My power is made perfect in your weakness. It is actually much deeper than that. It means that God's power has as one of its goals to bring us to weakness, to expose our weakness that's been there all the time so that we will be led to depend upon Him and to seek Him as our chief good. And of course, we often find also that when God touches us with suffering or hardship in our families, He touches an idol we have set up. I want my family to look like this. I want my children to be like this. I want my bank account to look like this. I want my job to look like this. I want my life to look like this. But God says, do you think I'm in the business to make life turn out the way you want it to turn out? I'm not Aladdin with his magic lamp. I am the God who creates the light and the darkness, who brings peace and brings calamity. You see, the Lord has done these things like David. We must fall into his hands and say he is working actively, 
personally in my life to bring this so that I will learn to depend upon him and trust him. And this is our assurance when we suffer, that we know God has brought these things to us. If you lose a spouse, it's hard. We weep and we cry out. But God has brought this. He is somehow working in this, his holy good, wise purposes for exactly what I need. Or I have to leave, live with this spouse, and I might prefer a different one. But God has brought this spouse to me. God has brought these children to me. God has brought this test to me, not to anyone else, but to me. Because he will have me know, Isaiah 45, I am God and there is no one else. You are not God, I am. I had a Christian friend tell me one time, remember God, brother, God is God and you are not. Now most Christians would say, well, that's elementary. Really? Elementary? Do we remember this when we are in a horrible traffic accident? Do we remember this in the doctor's diagnosis? Do we remember this in our financial woes? God is God and we are not. We belong to Him. And He is the one who is working out this wise and holy purposes. So if we believe and trust this, We can learn meekness before him and even joy, beloved. Thank you, Father, that you are working in my life and that the hand that strikes me is also the hand that loves me and is bringing good. That is the next idea. And we know that those who love God, to those who who love God, all things are working together for good. Now, please understand what this means. This does not mean that all things that God works out are intrinsically what we would call good. I mean, he doesn't want us to be lunatics here. Hallelujah, I have a disease, I'm going to die tomorrow. This is just great news. Think about the life of our Lord. If anyone knew there was going to be good come, he did. But the path to the good was Gethsemane. The cross. Forsaken by his disciples. Betrayed by all of Judah. Denied by his sworn bosom pal, Peter. You see, it's not that we don't cry. This is no promise that the troubles themselves will not stretch us to the uttermost. And even perhaps make us feel like I am forsaken. There's no hope for me. These things are going to be my undoing. But as Calvin said on this verse, the God we serve is so magnificent that the very troubles we think will be our undoing are the very things he is working in to further our salvation and to further our good, our peace, and our joy. End quote. So our Lord Jesus had to believe this as he went to the cross, that God was bringing good. The ultimate goal of this is going to be good, not as I defined it. God gets to define good also, does he not? We may be thinking, if I do this for a while and suffer this for a while, then 
I'll get, be able to get back to where I want. But no, if I suffer this for a while, I'll get my health back, right? And I'll be strong as I was ever before. Or if I really struggle now with this child, eventually I'll get him back or her back and it'll be all better. Oh, beloved, that may not be the good. God gets to define the good, not us. But we have his promise. We have his word to keep us, to to help us understand what is the good. But he does bring good. Abraham had to believe this when he was raising that knife above Isaac. I don't understand this. I've waited for decades for the child of promise. But God said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, the seed of promise. For Abraham, he understood this was a shadow of Christ. Abraham's child was leading to the seed of promise. But I'm thrusting my knife into the very covenant of God that he has promised. And he did it. Because he knew somewhere in the back of his mind, everything is screaming, no, 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 you can't do this. Abraham, it's the end of the covenant, end of the promise. But there is a God who reigns in heaven, who brings good. So I will obey and I will trust him. Our Lord believed this, of course, on his way to the cross. Daniel believed this all those years in captivity. We must have this hope, this confident expectation that God knows how to bring good out of our troubles. Do you think Joseph's life was easy all those years he spent, 13 or 14 in Egyptian dungeons and slavery? Why did he confess to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20? His brothers were all afraid later on after Jacob was dead. Oh no, Joseph is really going to get us now. But Joseph's brothers even then did not understand sovereignty like Joseph understood sovereignty. And Joseph learned that sovereignty through his afflictions. It certainly grew in him over time. Wait a minute. This was the dream I had. That my brothers were going to come and even my parents and bow down before me. I didn't realize it at that time. That what once puffed me up was really a dream of salvation. And that before they bowed to me, I was going to bow to God in the dungeon to be emptied of myself. And then he would exalt me. Joseph looked at his brothers and said, Do you evil? Are you insane? Do you believe that you may have meant it for good, but God meant, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good? So come here. Let me kiss you some more. Come here, let me hold you some more. Because through your evil, I suffered. It was hard. But God brought good to his people. Now, I can't in this context fail to read Acts chapter 2 because I know sometimes we have a hard time looking at our individual circumstances. Acts 2, 23 and 24 and saying, yeah, but what about this? And don't you know about this? You don't know about this, preacher. You don't realize. I'm just being ripped to threats over this. We hear about churches suffering and being divided and hurt feelings and sins. 
Let me just share with you this, with you this verse, and I'll tell you why after I read it. Acts 2, 22 through 24. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miraculous by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and knowledge of God, you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. I can assure you, Anything you're, growing, you're going through is never more evil than the day the Lord of glory was crucified. We read the accounts. We've seen the movies. The sky turned black. There were earthquakes. The ground opened up. This wasn't just, hey, they're crucifying my son. So let's just play a few sound effects. Maybe throw out a few visual effects. No, this was the whole fabric of this created earth reeling both under the judgment of God and under the incredible blindness and wickedness of men. And yet on that black, dark day, on that evil day, the rock of ages was cleft for us. And from the rock, being cleft, the blood being spilled, we are cleansed. And we are washed and forgiven. So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, could look at those men, thousands of them gathered there for the feast, and say, and notice how these two things are joined together. On the one hand, Jesus was delivered up by the determined counsel and sovereign predestination of God. This was no accident, but you are fully responsible. You took him with wicked hands and killed him. And now I'm telling you, Even with that, you can be saved, even though you've done this. So let that be a lesson to you if you think, you know what? There's this sin in my life that's going to haunt me all my days. Remember, we serve a God who knows how to bring good out of evil, out of the worst of evil. He knows how to bring good through pain, through suffering, like to these men and women gathered many of whom were subsequently converted. But if on the blackest day, God can bring good out of evil, you think about your sins. You think about how you helped crucify the Lord of glory by your own wickedness. And yet God has brought the most incredible good to you out of his death. Oh, rejoice, beloved. No wonder Solomon can say in Proverbs 14, no evil shall happen to the righteous. Most of us don't believe this. The Hebrew, though, just flat out tells us, no evil shall happen to the righteous. But what about this? It is only evil in the approximate. It is not evil in the ultimate It is only evil in the tears and the suffering and the pain and in the crying at the moment. But in the ultimate sense, we're going to see in all of these calamities and all of these judgments that God was just working to beautify his church, to beautify you and I, 
to sanctify us, to break our godlike idolatry of me, so that I would worship him and know him. So don't ever fail to be encouraged, beloved. The God we serve works actively, personally, to bring good out of the worst calamities. So with Paul and Silas, while they were in a dark, smelly prison, we sing and we pray. And we believe while we are with Daniel in captivity. We believe as we wander with Abraham, while we are in prison with Jeremiah, while we are crucified with Peter and beheaded with Paul. We can all meet all these things with calmness of heart and confidence in him. Why? Turn to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Verse 3 again. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in me. Upon what must our minds be stayed or fixed? The God who loves us, who sings over us, rejoices in us, sovereignly works in all things to be good to us and promises us never to afflict us without bringing a joyful conclusion to it at a lighter end. Therefore, we must wait patiently for him without complaining, without fretting, rejoicing in his love for us, trusting in his wisdom and depending upon his faithfulness. Now, there's one last line in this verse, which I don't want to pass over, but it feeds directly into what we will probably look out next Lord's Day in verses 29 and 30. Notice, to them that are called according to his purposes. I'll most likely do a little more exegesis with this line next week. But for the moment, just notice the flow. What makes us lovers of God? What gives us confidence that this promise belongs to us? And actually, it makes the confidence unassailable. God has effectually called us out of darkness, out of unbelief, and into his light. To them who are called according to his purpose. This wasn't a calling that just haphazardly came. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, notice this. God gave us Romans eight twenty eight because he wanted us to have assurance. But he grounds our assurance in something so deep that he called us. We were dead. Whenever you see the word calling in a specific sense in the New Testament, we're always to remember Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. That's us. And Jesus called us. The day is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. The gospel call. He brought us out of darkness and death into his light and life. This was according to God's eternal purpose, which he purposed in himself, which means your assurance that God is working all things together for good 
is grounded on election and on the eternal calling of God. It came to expression in your individual life when you heard the gospel and were enabled to repent and believe it. Now that puts things in a very different perspective than just, well, I feel everything is going to turn out all right in the end. That's not going to help you. When you've got a really, really bad disease or when your children are struggling with a sin or you've lost your job, I've got to have assurance grounded on something a lot more than my personal feelings. So, God it is. He says it's grounded on my work, raising you from death to life according to my purpose. God says, in effect, don't you think I have called you and now I'm going to abandon you? You think that of all the people in this world I have passed over, that I have chosen you for my child for no reason except according to my own good pleasure and the praise of glory of my grace? Yes. Do you think that having chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world, that I'm going to let evil overturn my work in your life? No. Do you think that suffering is going to undo you? That trouble, frustration, a wayward child, a wayward spouse, or whatever it may be, fears about finances? Do you think this is going to undo you? I hold in my powerful hand, you in my powerful hand, you live because you've heard the voice of the Son of God and He has called you out of darkness. So trust me, I've called you according to my purpose. Trust me, I am working for He who began a good work in you will keep on performing it. Jesus said in John five seventeen, My Father has worked hitherto and I work. Oh, we do not serve a lazy God. He works in all things to promote the good of his elect. Now, think about this and I'll close. Think about everything going on in your life right now. And it's like, oh, what is God doing in this? Is he really working good in that? Well, remember what I've said. The troubles themselves may be very painful. The, the outcome, the results of them, though, he says to those who love him, to those who are called, to his children, it's going to be good. Think on that, beloved, over this next week. If God has set his love on you and he delights in you, there's nothing that is going on in your life, nothing that is going on in the lives of other Christians around the world who are being persecuted. There's nothing even in the Nigerian Christians who are being battled against every day going on that is not going to promote the salvation of God's people, His glory, and our good. Think about that in our own congregation this past year. Cheryl was at death's door. Several of our members were stricken with, stricken with COVID. Jose's mother died, and then shortly after that, his truck was stolen, and he lost his expensive tools. What has that made us? It has made us more of a praying congregation. At the time, we were pulling out our hair, wondering what's going on. But we don't serve a dead deity. We serve the loving God. The world is not what we think it is. He is working in all things to bring good glory and joy to those who love Him. Do you love Him?
So on a practical note, you might say, Pastor, that has a lot of theory in it today. I don't think it, it has. But you may. I'll leave you with this one practical challenge. Do you want this promise for your very own? Love God. Love Him. Ask Him. Father, make me a lover of you. Put the love for you. you put the love for you in my heart. Because I can't conjure it up. Lord, circumcise my heart. If you do not know the Lord, say, Lord, give me a new heart so that I can love you. Because until you break the love of self and of the world, I cannot love you. Love God. Study his word. Keep his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. This is the comfort you all have in Christ. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org. And if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org. Or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.